Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, guys. So my microphone was kind of messed up just for the intro, but it will pick back up once we get into the actual episode. Hello. Wow. What are we doing here? We're recording a podcast called But Am I Wrong? Are you wrong? Never, ever, ever. What about you? Honestly, never. Like I am like racking my brain thinking of a time that I was wrong. And I I don't think I've ever been wrong. You could ask any of my teachers in high school. (laughs) You could totally ask the person who graded my SATs. Um, All of that. Like I uh, 1600. That's the perfect score on SAT, right? I was in that weird like four year period or whatever where it was out of 2400. Gotcha. Okay. So on the SAT out of 2400, a 1490 it places a student at the median of college bound seniors, 50% score, 1490 and above, 15, 50% score below, 15% score above 1850. Okay. So I was like average. That's fine. So yeah, that doesn't really keep on brand with I've never been wrong. Um, but testing was not my strong suit. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I've said before that I didn't know that people with ADHD got more time to do tests because I also didn't know that everybody finished the test they took in general. I was like, I just thought testing was you get through as many as you can. And that's it. And when I found out that people were finishing every test they've ever taken, I've never in my life finished a test. Wow. I was like, oh, okay. This makes sense. Uh, well, yes, this is um, But Am I Wrong podcast where we talk about the wrongs that we might have committed in our lives or our personal hot takes. Then we read submissions from all of you, what's happening in your lives, and we tell you if you are the hero or the villain in the situation. And then we nominate our Rachel of the Week, aka But Are They Wrong? Pop culture, current events, who is the absolute worst, and do we want to symbolically throw tomatoes at. Boo, tomato, tomato, tomato. (laughs) That's one of my favorite, favorite TikTok audios right now. And then the one that I was telling you about earlier this week, where it's like, I'll take two more of these little blonde bitches. See, that one I haven't heard yet. I think that might be on blonde bitch TikTok. Got it. You know, the Paris Hilton side. But I follow Paris Hilton, so. Yeah, I don't know them. I don't know. Well, what's new with you? You know, yesterday when I was like, hey, Blitzos, that's a barbecue restaurant here in LA that we like. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, they've got a two for, or you can get $40 worth of food for $20. So I ordered my food and then it just disappeared from the app. So I saw that somebody was picking it up. I reset the app, nothing. It was like, <gasps> I never put an order in there. I didn't get an email confirmation. It didn't say it was on the way. So I was like, 
what was going on? And I was directing an audiobook and I was hungry. So I was like, I'll put it in order again. Well, 20 minutes later, my food arrived and then more food arrived. So you're drowning in <laughs> racks on racks on racks of ribs is what I'm hearing. And so there was a glitch with Postmates and they refunded me for everything and gave me $20 in credit. So I have essentially, because I had to order $40 worth of food, I have four meals <laughs> for free. Wait, what did you order? I ordered some ribs. I ordered oh. a brisket sandwich. I ordered some mac and cheese. And it was like a pint of mac and cheese. So those actually serve like four anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's actually more like eight things. So Wow. Yeah. So I have a lot of food right now. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. There are all these TikToks of um, like what life is like when you've been in a relationship for five plus years. And it's like <laughs> calling your partner being like, should we get tacos tonight? Like that's us with blood cells. Mm. We're like, is it a blood cells night? Because like it's a commitment. Like it is. it is like you are, it's so salty, but in like the best way possible. And it's like heavy. Like you're not doing shit after like Mm -hmm. you are not like you are like I don't want to say treating yourself because like food isn't like that it's not like a reward system but it's along the lines of like it's it's a treat in the sense that like you get giddy for it to arrive Mm -hmm. and like it's like Christmas like I just get so fucking excited and I tell everybody in my life that they need to like the amount of people who've like never eaten at blood sows shocks me it's the best Barbecue. I mean, barbecue, I understand barbecue isn't part of the culture of L.A. And so it's not like the best barbecue there ever was, but it's the best barbecue in L.A. So it is delicious. And I used to have an internship that was within walking distance of there. And so I was there like every other day I was going there. And so what I told you, I told you yesterday that like they didn't originally put coleslaw on their sandwiches, but every day, every other day I was going there, I would ask for it. And then now they offer it. And I truly believe because of what I said, that they started putting it just automatically on the sandwich. Cause that's like the Southern way is to mm-hmm. have it on the sandwich. I mean, I think you are an influencer and I think that your invite to Revolve Fest is coming. Like I <laughs> think that you're an influencer. I just hope that we can influence people that if you come to visit LA, don't go to fucking Pink Taco. Don't go to Pink's. Like don't, all of those like stereotypical yeah. shit not good. Not good. Pink's is going to be the worst hot dog I've ever put in my mouth. <laughs> and that's coming from two people who love hot who dogs. Love hot <laughs> like, dogs. <laughs> they're not good. But like, if you're coming to LA, like go to Bloodsos. Mm-hmm. And then if you want a Mexican food restaurant, shoot me a DM and I will actually no, I'll just tell you because she deserves all the press. To be fair, she is very, do, she's coasting, glorious Mexican food and just mm. also El Salvadorian mm-hmm. food. Oh my God, it's so good. So good. That's Those are the recommendations. Yeah. Don't go to Pink Taco. No. I used to have uh, another internship that was in the hills right there. And they were always, let's go to Pink Taco. And I was like, these are so greasy and not good. And would you like to spend like $19 on guacamole? Right. No. It's the most expensive thing I'd ever. I'd rather you... The Mexican food that you see, like people just sell on the street is 20 times better. It's authentic. It's delicious. It's fresh. Oh, yeah. If you see a taco truck on any mm-hmm. street corner, pull over, flip a bitch, 
oh yeah, you're stuck in traffic mm-hmm. and someone's walking by and it's like, would you like a taco? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> Mats and I almost did that the other day. We were stuck in traffic and some guy was walking through with like tacos. And then I think it was just like plain, like, uh, I don't think it had any, what's it called? Tijon? Is that how you pronounce it? Oh yeah. It? Is that, yeah. It, it was, but it didn't have any of that, but it was just like plain, um, like watermelon and all of that. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is tempting. This is tempting. But alas, we hope you all enjoyed that influencer segment of Los Angeles, California. Um, (laughs) Lots of recommendations we can give. I've also decided that the reason why L.A. can be so infuriating with like traffic and just all of that stuff is because it is like a tourist trap, but it's the whole city. And so you have all these people who have like no idea how to drive, no idea mm-hmm. where they're going. They're like walking, mm-hmm. like cr- not crossing the street when like the lights are. And so like, but as opposed to like New York, like New Yorkers avoid Times Square because that's where tourists comes. But LA, everything, especially with, like influencer culture, everything is a tourist attraction. Yeah. So like going to the fucking mall, going to Target, going mm-hmm. to Whole Foods, like everything. And that's why I think that like, the traffic and the the road rage and like the the attitude of people in LA because the attitude that you have to other people who live in LA is not the same that you give to tourists mm-hmm. but you also kind of assume if someone is not being the most intelligent in a situation that they're a tourist yes this was my realization also because my old place was kind of near where James Corden <laughs> records oh, yeah. and Moss and I, anytime we would be stuck in traffic, we'd be like, fucking James Corden is singing Cinderella, dancing to windows, like, fuck this. And I feel like half the time that, like, there's there's traffic is either that's happening or people are slowing down driving around the lots, hoping that it's going to happen. And that's why we have traffic. Yeah, that's true. So, goodbye, James Corden. We'll not miss (laughs) you. Um... Should we actually hop into this episode? Yeah, let's do it. Let's read the results from last week. So, oh, I didn't even say this part. So the best part, I think, about our show is we open this up for you to vote. So as we go through all of the segments, you can jot down notes about who you think was wrong, and then you can head on over to our Instagram stories and vote And now we're going to read the results from last week. These ones did go up late, I will say. I've been in the crunch of moving. So by the time this episode is out, like I said, like I will be gone. I will be in our new house. These ones were a little delayed. So if you missed the voting, I apologize. Also, I do. I want to say that Megan and I are on the same team. If you're coming here to hear people argue about different things, this isn't the podcast for you. Yeah. And like, I'll disagree that I think fucking eggnog is disgusting. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, it's like right. that I mean, stuff. I think like, there's like plenty of things that we've disagreed on, but it's also not that deep. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> if it is that deep, like we're not going to disagree on it because we're also friends. Yes. And like, there's a reason why we don't disagree on like moral <laughs> issues. Mm-hmm. I'm not friends with people that are morally corrupt. Exactly. Okay. So episode 24, who was wrong? First up, we have me versus international and national days. 88% said Megan is not wrong. And 12% said Megan is wrong. This was like the vocal minority. Mm -hmm. People who thought I was wrong were like very upset and offended by this. And were like, please let people enjoy things like, well, 
I just want everyone to know that I have not submitted like a bill to like the the United States or like the UN or anything to try and like ban or like criminalize national international days. It's truly not that deep. I think it's annoying and stupid. I will say I totally understand teachers who are like, oh, it's really fun for like the kids, like for sure. But I am also allowed to think that it is not. I just think that it is lame and absolutely useless for the vast majority. And also the amount of people who messaged and were like, I just looked up someone's it was their birthday. And they were like, I just looked up like my their birthday was a couple days ago what their international days was. And it was something like national, international, like men's day or in all of the stuff that was like horrible. And she was like, on today, I'm reading this on my exact birthday, seeing all of the days, which was funny. Yeah. I don't even remember what mine was, but people were like, let women enjoy stuff. And I was like, this isn't serious. Like this is just meant to be fun. Also, you like actively like think about and it brings you joy to like think about like national, like like skinned almond day like what do you mean like (laughs) sure I get like pie day I get like cookie day for sure but like for some of these obscure ass fucking ones like national like fart on a pope day I'm like (laughs) okay so that brings you constant joy like Marie Kondo you're like yeah joy sparks so much joy in me unless it's the young pope I'm not interested (laughs) get this he's a pope but he fucks uh, um, and then mine is me versus getting a homophobic person uninvited to an event. One percent said I was wrong. Ninety nine percent said I was not wrong. Margin of error. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, so sorry. Mm-hmm. But I will say there is one that is coming up at the end where I cross reference who voted that you were wrong on this and who voted that I was wrong in one of my Rage for the Week nominations. And in that crossover. I can, based on some bios, I definitely know that some were not voting. They they were intentional. Mm. Okay. Okay. Then we have writer number one versus the classmate that makes noises. 89% said the writer is wrong and 11% said the writer is not wrong. Got a lot of great discourse on this for a lot of people who immediately were like, this would be so infuriating and annoying to me. And then we're like, and then as I was listening to you guys talk about how that's like super ableist, I like recognize that. And like, that was very helpful, which... Super happy to hear. But yeah, there's also a lot of people messaging us who were in the same boat as us being like, I could totally understand how even, especially if you are neurodivergent, that this could be like a distraction and like really frustrating. But it's how we talk about those situations and also recognizing that we can only control our own personal small environment and working around those kinds of things without asking neurodivergent or people who are just different than you to to change based on your needs it's just not fair yeah so i think that was a good call or good submission i think so too so then writer number two is her her mom's hot girl summer who's wrong uh 15 said the writer is wrong 85 percent said the writer is not wrong and had to use this iconic photo of chris jenner who seems to constantly be living hot girl summer And then we have writer number three versus Lane, who cried at Logan's dinner because she's struggling with being single. 83% said writer's wrong. 17% said Lane is wrong. I, I have such strong feelings about this one that like the people who are like Lane is wrong. I I think a lot of people agreed and probably voted for that one because um, when we said that there's something else there, like there's something. But I also just think 
I don't know, the whole like, well, this they they shouldn't have come if they were going to know that they were going to have like a bad time. But I always think if someone's like feelings are hurt, getting mad at someone for their feelings being hurt is like the least productive thing that you can do. And it also is like, oh, now this person probably won't talk about their feelings because their feelings mean that other people are mad at them. So I just feel bad. I kind of understand where the writer is coming from because it was like her boyfriend's birthday party and then Lane is crying at her friend's birthday party when she wasn't the only single person there. So if it's somebody else's birthday party, it can be distracting. Yeah, I just feel bad when people cry. It makes me also make me uncomfortable. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> writer number four versus sister's friend finding their only fans and sharing it with the writer's sister who's wrong. 11% said the writer is wrong. 89% said the sister's friend is wrong. Seems seems about right. A lot of people agreed with us where it was like, you took it too far. A smidge, a smidge too far. But if this person hadn't done what they did first, then it would have never happened. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, then drumroll, please. The wrong of the week, the LeBrant family, 99% said the LeBrant family is wrong. And 1% said the LeBrant family is not wrong. I was going to say it was 1%. Someone wrote on the Instagram post, unfollowing now. So not sure why you were here to begin with, but great. Bye. Also made me laugh so much. So I'm like, <laughs> ha, ha, whoa. Like, this is like actually the least surprising take of ours. Like this like really aligns with everything <laughs> we've ever said. And I'm like, again, how did you, how, what? Like, how did you get here? And yeah. how have you remained here? Part of me thinks that they were just never around. And yeah, but I going through having some seeing some um, Philippians. Is that what it's called? Philippians? No, the the Bible thing. Philippians. What context? I mean, Philippians is in the Bible, but what are like like, like in their bio where it's like Philippians like nine sixteen? Gotcha. Philippians. Seeing some of those things. I'm like, hmm. And then I look and then those similar people, those people also then voted that you were wrong for calling out uh, homophobia. And I'm like, mm, I see you're you're one of you're one of those. And in the quotations, re- Christians mm-hmm. quotations. Yeah. So uh, that was funny. <laughs> Did they have the same or the same people voting for this one? Yeah. Wrong in the week, state of Texas for charging a woman with a quote unquote self-induced abortion. Ninety nine percent said Texas is wrong. One percent said Texas is not wrong. So there was a common thing there. But I think it's also like, I think if you have such corrupt and violent moral uh, or in a lack of moral belief system, like or a completely corrupt one, you tend to kind of, (laughs) in order to consume entertainment and content that's not just your echo chamber, you kind of have to be someone who enjoys arguing with people and enjoys Mm -hmm. being like the contrarian. And so I think that that's, potentially why some of those people maintain listening because they just like are fueled on hating what we say but just can't be good for the complexion you know i like to do things that i enjoy personally me too i don't know i also am like maybe you're not that staunch in your belief system if you're constantly listening to people talk about having completely opposite belief system Mm -hmm. than you so maybe they're warming up to it maybe okay so 
Should we get into our first segment, which is But Am I Wrong?, where we each will say something that's happened in our life recently and propose to the other one to see if we were in the wrong or not, or just a hot take. So mine is a hot take. This was inspired by Hank Green's. He did a TikTok about this a couple of weeks ago, and it's really about like the climate change doomsday things. And this was something that has also come across in when I've done like Q&As on Instagram. But it's the doomsday climate change point of view is just kind of a gateway to like ecofascism. And the casual conversation around the planet is going to die in X amount of years. Don't have kids. Anyone who has kids is selfish. And all of that is just essentially saying fuck it to all of the progress that we have made and all of these things. And that was like Hank's point. Like he really like drove home all of these statistics and things about how he's like, I've been working, fighting against climate change, like for 15 years. And to see these young people come in there and say, well, it's too late when it's not, you're giving up on all this work that all these people have done. And the rhetoric in ecofascism is like even a quicker gateway to like eugenics. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people are recognizing or realizing is that there are people who've dedicated their entire careers to educating people on climate change and doing all of that. And we talk about how, which is completely true, is how corporations are the biggest ones at fault for this. And we need them to change their practices. And there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Yeah, I think that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the same. That's completely true and completely valid and fair. But when we take any of the onus off ourselves for things that we could do and we could change, and then we rely solely and explicitly only on these organizations, what happens is that we don't put those pressure on those organizations because when in reality, like we should be writing senators, we should be writing the government, like we should be doing all of those things. And then the small things that we can make changes in our lives, like, yes, don't buy into this carbon footprint, which apparently I would need to fact check this, but apparently a uh, carbon footprint was like a term created by one of like the car manufacturers to kind of like put some more of the onus on the consumer versus the corporation. It. So it's like a marketing thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that stuff, like, yes, be conscious of those things. Like, don't beat yourself up constantly for feeling like you can never do, like, you're doing too much. And, like, there's a lot of privilege in sustainability, but there's not a lot of discussions around privilege in the discussions of sustainability, like sustainable clothing and all of that. Everybody's saying that, first of all, if you're a bigger bodied person, thrifting is there. What is there is not either cute or just like not accessible and things like Shein and fast fashion brands, they are more sustainable to people who are bigger bodied and are lower income. So like you can buy 10,000 reformation dresses. That doesn't make you more eco-conscious than somebody who's buying like five shirts from Shein and wearing them for like six years. My belief system is like, it's not about what you buy, it's how you buy. And I just think that a lot of these discussions they're not doing what people think that they're doing. And being someone who's kind of grown up in the climate change activism renaissance, like I've heard about it my whole life, to hear in the last like five years this really intense, um, defeated point of view is 
really infuriating and really depressing because there are things that we can do. And if we just give up and we start villainizing people who have children and saying that there's no conscious way doing all of these kinds of things, it feels kind of like the same pipeline of green juice to QAnon that that rhetoric gets grouped in with eugenics. And then within days, hours, months, like that is how the conversation goes. So am I wrong in believing that people, their misguided takes on climate change are far more problematic than people who are buying a couple items of clothing from Shein. Hmm. So I don't think you're wrong. Um, but to fact check you, it wasn't developed by a car company, but it was developed by some scientists, but it was popularized by BP, which is a oil company. And they've made no attempt to reduce their own carbon footprint, but they did it to put the onus on people that regular people as opposed to companies doing it. Yeah. So like the marketing of it, that's like the mm -hmm. popularization and the marketing of that term. So, yeah, I it sucks because like I obviously constantly want to learn about new ways that I can be more eco-conscious. But when so much of the conversation is dominated by extremists, it feels like right now that's kind of like what <laughs> the goal is that we either have like extreme capitalism or we have like extreme, like essentially like eco-fascism where then we're not aligned on anything and then nothing's fucking getting done. Right. And, and the thing is like, if we're educating ourselves and then taking part in small practices and you do the next for the next generation, then it'll be a little better for them. And then the more people and then those people grow up to be the people that are in charge. So if you're taking the time to do what you need to do now, it can be better in the future. Yeah, that was what Hank was saying. He's like, the whole thing is, is that like it's happening, like the the temperatures are rising, sea levels, all of that. He's like, but our goal is for it to be as small as possible. And we've been able to do that. We mm -hmm. haven't been able to like really like rein in corporations from doing everything that they could. But even with just doing our own personal parts, we've been able to change the outcome. We're not eradicating it. We're just right. making it better and better and better and better. But if we give up, it's never going to get better. So, yeah. I don't think you're wrong. So what is yours for this week? All right. So this week, mine is infantilizing the elderly. And I think it gets done a lot. People will like when they're talking to elderly people, they'll like slow down their speech. And I'm out. I'm at, I'm not talking. I'm talking about as a general thing and not someone that may have like a cognitive something going on cognitively that you do have to talk slower but that can be that's another form of ableism because that could be anyone mm -hmm. <laughs> but generalizing it like slowing down your speech pattern or talking louder when that person may not have a hearing problem also kind of like singing your sentences or treating elderly like children and like holding their hand and like petting it or like treating them like mascots or like saying things like sweetie and honey and using baby talk and going oh my grandma is so cute like this is a grown-ass woman she does not want to be talked to like a child and mimicked and like even people dressing up as the elderly like they'll dress up their children for halloween as an elderly person or like dressing up and then 
going out to a restaurant with your friends. It's mocking and it's bullying. (laughs) And it's quite frankly, I think it's disrespectful and it dehumanizes the person. Um, And this also can, in fact, impact people's health. So if you talk to an elderly person like that, it can make cognitive problems, you know, like worse and it could make someone livid and mad. And so it's like, why? Why Why are you treating an old person like they're a kid when they've lived through things? And I've also like videos on TikTok where I've seen where or they'll like post a video of their uh, grandparents saying something that like considered to be like saucy and they're like oh my gosh I can't believe my grandma just said that your grandma had nine kids like <laughs> she, your grandma knows grandma fucks. yeah like she knows what's going on it's like more in like the time of her growing up saying things like that would have been considered like declasse of the time but like this is a grown-ass woman I know when I'm old I'm gonna say I'm gonna talk the same way I talk now <laughs> It's not going to change. So stop. That's a good point. I've never, I, I've, I've thought of like some of the things of similarly to kind of how we kind of believe that you're only really a person from a certain age range, mm-hmm. like you're like 18 to like 50. And then once then, like if you're younger than that, it's like sweetie, it's unsolicited touching. It's mm-hmm. all of that. So I have thought about that, but I haven't thought about it in the sense of like parents dressing their like babies up as old people and that being used as or even when adults dress up or teenagers Mm -hmm. as like the elderly as like a punchline and that's supposed to be funny I never thought about that I, I I don't think you're wrong at all I do think it's also a little bit <laughs> I don't know what the re- like what the term would be for it but it feels like we only cast older people as angry and like bigots and like complete pieces of shit waste of space or the infantilizing like oh Mm. my gosh they're so cute and it's super we like there's just only two things that you can fall into which I think is really just a really odd concept of like what that is and I also think that we don't really do that in our I don't know like I think it's like such a public persona like I don't know. Like when I mm-hmm. think of like my grandparents are all like dead, but like. Yeah. But like your dad would be considered in that age group. <laughs> and that's not who he is. No, you'd be like, I'll punch a bitch if you yeah. fucking said that shit. So like, I just think that's like super. I don't know. I think it's super odd because like I don't mean to say this in a bad way at all. But like I don't. The concept that old people are like so cute mm-hmm. is just such a like I, I, I'm not gonna say I, 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 I liked one of my grandparents and I, I loved other ones, but like never in my, I would have ever considered them cute in it. Like you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. just such a weird thing that like part of me wonders. I'm like, do people who post that actually feel that about their grandparents, or is it like this public persona to like put out there into the world? Because then call her beautiful. Yeah, it's super weird. Don't use childlike words to describe and say, oh, isn't my grandma so cute? It's a grown-ass woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're getting written out of the will. Like, yeah, it's weird. It's very weird. You're not wrong at all. It's a great thing. I mean, not not this is a great thing, but a great topic to bring up. I truly haven't thought about it in depth. I can't wait to just be like, I'm going to yell. I'm going to be one of those old people. And I'll be fun. Yeah. So... 
now let's get into But Are You Wrong? This is where you send us your submissions to butamirongpod at gmail.com. Keep it under 300 words and let us know as many details as possible so we can accurately and thoroughly read you if you need to be read or if not, be your personal hype team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everyone involved is 24. I'm going on vacation with two friends. Let's call them Nikki and Kate. We have a fourth friend named Dan that will be nearby while we're away. We invited him to join us for a few days for my birthday. Nikki and I are going to share a bed and Dan and Kate want to each have their own bed because that's what everyone's comfortable with. Dan did not like any of the Airbnb options we found. Most of the Airbnbs had two bedrooms plus a pullout couch. Kate said that she had no problem sleeping on a pullout. Dan was complaining, though, and asked that instead we search for apartments that have three bedrooms, not three beds. Every place we found with three bedrooms was at least twice the price. I wrote in the group chat, so far, I like option one the best because it was affordable. This really upset Dan, and he replied, so you're going to sleep on the couch? I decided to match his energy and playfully wrote, I think you're forgetting whose birthday it's going to be. To which he replied, I literally booked a flight to see you. Nikki and Kate both felt like he was being unreasonable, and Nikki responded and told him to stop acting like he was doing us a favor for coming on the trip. It was an invitation, not a request. I said that just because it's my birthday, I'm not demanding that anyone sleep on a pullout. Dan told us to calm down and said he didn't think we would be so sensitive, to which I replied, I think you're being sensitive because your poor little back can't handle a pullout couch. He left the group chat. Am I wrong? Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think you're super wrong. And I say this as somebody who has planned a lot of like birthday trips and has gone away on a lot of birthday trips and specifically has friends with like chronic illnesses, friends with bad backs, and also friends who fly in, who I will invite with a no strings attached invite to fly in if they want to come to my birthday. But when you plan a birthday trip, it's not really about your birthday. It's about a trip with your friends. And I think that, yes, an invitation is not a request, but you you don't in- invite someone to have a lesser experience than the others. And like, I looked at places when we were going for my birthday trip to Palm Springs that like some that had like pullouts or stuff like that, that I would like look into and be like, no, this isn't going to work. But then the thing that like, if you're going on a trip with people, you have to give people like the agency to choose like what they are comfortable spending their money on. Cause like, unless you're covering the costs for everyone, and they can come and go as they please. And like, they don't have to stay there. But like, this is the house that you're renting. Come visit for a couple of days if you want to. And you have no ex- expectations for people. But if people are spending their own money, they don't have to like sacrifice their comfort levels. And I do think it is kind of like insulting when you expect that from them and or then just don't invite them. You know, like I, I just think that like or you say, hey, this is what I'm booking. The only thing that's here is a pullout couch. If you want to come, I totally understand if you don't. But I just think, yeah, and the whole like ganging up on mentality. I think the order of operations here was wrong. I think that y'all should have had the place in mind before he booked his flight. And then that would have helped. But I think there are two wrongs here. I don't think in either one of you were in the right. Um, I think you were both wrong. I think one... Like, for example, if we use your birthday trip, there was a master bedroom that was exponentially better than the rest of the bedrooms. It was a really nice house, but the master bedroom was nicer. And by default, that was your room because that's your birthday. So, yes, 
I get that you as the birthday person don't want to use, don't want to have the pullout couch. But also if I'm flying in, I, Melissa, have a bad back. I cannot sleep on a pullout couch. And being on a plane, it's going to make my back worse. So like if I'm flying in, I don't want to sleep on the pullout couch. I'm not going to. It's going to make my experience worse. But also when you go on trips like this, like you have to have the expectation that you don't have to. But I would say the expectation is like the place that you're staying. If you want better accommodations, it might be out of other people's budget. So if the person that's booking it, the stuff is out of everyone's budget, then I understand why you, why you were mad about that. But also if Dan had a problem with it, the Dan and Dan could afford to spend more money on this, then Dan could go get his own place if that was the biggest thing. I'm not saying that that's ideal, but like if the place that you're booking is out of everyone's budget and Dan is flying in and doesn't want to sleep on the couch, then you know, you have to make other accommodations for yourself if that those accommodations don't match yours. Yeah, I do think, though, it's the inviting process. Like, I think if you can only afford a place that has like three bedrooms, like you said, like you there needs to be like an explicit conversation before anybody is financially mm-hmm. on the hook. And so if you're only affording a place that has three beds, not three bedrooms, and other people aren't comfortable like sharing a bed or like sharing a bedroom, that needs to be something that influences before you've you've booked and before Mm -hmm. this stuff has like happened. Because yeah, I think that like, I also wonder, so if he pulls out and he doesn't come and then it's three of you splitting this cost for this current place, like, did you, are you, did you factor in like him? Does it, everyone's individual piece that portion that they're paying of, was it dependent on the fact that you had four people? And now that it's only going to be like, it was like, well, then let's increase it. And it's like, well, no, that's going to be twice as much. And then I get the whole like invitation versus like request, like it's not a demand. But I think that this could have, yeah, the order of operations, you're right. PEMDAS this, like this should have not, you should have all been on the same page before anyone had any money put into this. And I also think that if you're going to do something like this and someone is going to need to sleep on a pullout. I think that the way to go about that if someone's going to be receiving lesser accommodations is to propose that to like before anyone has committed to anything because mm-hmm. that's like that changes. Like that changes if you like want to do something like that and you want to spend your vacation time and spend your money on that because that's not how you would book your own individual trip. But I will say I think the conversation in the group chat was like definitely out of pocket. Yeah. On both ends. Yeah. I think you're both in the wrong. Yeah, I think you're both in the wrong. But I do think that you, writer, you had the power to avoid this situation. So, like, I think his res- I think his response and reaction could have been better. But I think that your actions and your that's what started this. And so I think that, like, you had the power to kind of avoid this. So I would say that personally, I think you are more wrong and... As somebody who loves their birthday, I will just also add <laughs> that like you can love your birthday, but I kind of think that it's like similar to like weddings and that stuff where it should be fun for everyone involved and not like an obligation. And like you will have the most fun when everybody is having fun and like everybody is happy. And like that is the burden that is on the host that like if that's not something that you're into, 
then I would just change how you operate with your birthdays and like who you invite and then invite people who are just whatever you say goes and whatever you want and all of that stuff. Because planning trips with lots of personalities can be hard and it doesn't really matter. Some people really care that it's your birthday. Other people won't. And we can't really, as someone who loves their birthday, like you can't really expect other people to care about your birthday as much as you do Mm -hmm. and sacrifice things because it's your birthday. Again, I say this is a Leo who, an August Leo who loves her birthday. All right. Next one. Yeah. Hi, Megan and Melissa. Anonymous writer, me, 21 years old, female. May, fake name, 21 year old, female. She, her, Amy, fake name, 20 year old, female. She, her. May, Amy, and I have a group chat. May has an eating disorder and and depression. She uses our group chat as an outlet to share how she feels that there's no hope for her and that she can't afford help. From what she has told me, her family is not financially well off and cannot support her 100%. Even with insurance, she still have to pay more than what she can afford. May only texts us all her negative feelings, things, telling us how thin she is. It's gotten to the point where she'll tell us how bad her situation is. We'll follow up by giving advice or asking her how she feels, and she'll respond with saying it's whatever or that she's fine now. She also does not want to do online therapy because it isn't for her, but she can't afford help in person. Now Amy has stopped replying because the texts have become too much. Honestly, me too. May texted us saying she understands we don't want to be her friends due to her problems. I texted her back saying I still want to support her, but it's hard when all I can do is give the same advice and I'm a busy student. She says she just wants friends who listen, not give advice. Did I go about this appropriately? Is she trauma dumping? Am I being a bad friend? I am sensitive, but if I'm wrong, I need to hear it. I think that it's complicated and I don't think that what you did was necessarily wrong. There's only so much that people can hear that before it starts affecting you. Like, for instance, I had someone that would call me all the time and would say and all they would talk about would would be things that they were going through, wouldn't ask me how I was doing. And it was too much for me to bear. It was too much for me. And they also like didn't want to want advice. Um, and I would ask them, do you want advice? Or are you just sharing the things that you're going through? And they'd say, I'm just sharing things I'm going through. So I wouldn't give advice. I'd let them dump. But then it became too much for me. It was too much for me to take in and you're friends, but you're not a therapist. And I know she can't afford therapy, but you did say there were options and she doesn't want to take those. So the options are there. You're not a professional. You, this is too much for you to bear. Maybe explaining to her these things. Also, there's support groups online. There's books that she can read. There are other things that she can do that are less expensive. And it's not your responsibility as her friend to be her sounding board. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Like this is trauma dumping and you are not trained to take this in. And that's not a prerequisite to friendship. Like, again, there's like a reason why therapists exist and mental health professionals exist. It doesn't mean they're all great and they're all wonderful, but they have the training to be able to hear this. And I'm sure therapists take some things with them, but they 
they have been doing the work and again, the education and the the credentials to be more equipped to handle this than any other, like than any just like friend. And so, yeah, I think that's the explanation that you give because I think her being like, well, I get it. It's my problem. But it's like, no, it's not your problems. It's just, I'm not equipped to handle this stuff. And I take it with me every day. And this is obviously way harder for you. And this is really tough. But I also don't think that your goal is to make my life hard too. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. that that's what your goal is. And I completely understand that like this is like what you need and like what you want. But like that's not what like a friendship is. And I can't provide that to you. And it's also when you're going through something like that, like telling your friends like absolutely everything. I think that like there needs to be a conversation about boundaries on both ends of like what your friends are comfortable hearing and what you are comfortable telling your friends Because when you don't have a mental health professional there, inadvertently, no matter if you're saying you just want to vent and you're just talking like friendship, you put a lot of onus on your well-being onto other people and other people. You take up a lot of bandwidth in their brain of worrying that they are responsible for your Mm well-being. And that is something that is really hard for just everyday people because you don't necessarily have the resources to know like what's something that I should alert if it's too much, who should I be called? Like talking about your life with your friends is very different than trauma dumping. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. And I think that like, there's a way to go about these conversations that are like delicate. So it's recognizing that they're going through a lot and it's like, you aren't your problems. And I also don't think that like the things you're going through, like make you a bad person or, or that's the reason why I don't want to be like friends with you. But I'm just saying, I need to set a boundary and pull away because I'm not a therapist. I can't emotionally handle taking all of this on. And I want to be able to remain a friendship with you, like have a friendship with you. So like, I would love if we can sit down and like schedule, like can lay out some clear boundaries because I want to be there for you, but I need to do that in the capacity that I can. Like there's Mm -hmm. only so much I can do and I want to be able to do that for you. And if we continue at the rate that we're going, I'm going to burn out and I'm not going to be able to do anything. And that's not what I want. Like I want to help you and I want to be there for you, but there's a way to do that where I'm not hurting myself. And I hope that you understand that and that you want to come to like an outline or a conclusion of what these boundaries are for us to kind of adhere to. But yeah, that's it's it's hard. And when you're at like a really dark place, like not wanting to get help, like it's it's people have to want to get the help like for Mm -hmm. themselves. But if someone's choosing not to get help and not to do any of that, it's not your responsibility to sacrifice like your well-being. Because in the kindest way possible, (laughs) you're also not helping them. Like when you're trauma dumping on other people, like that's not actually being productive. Like that's not helping anyone. And so you don't need to sacrifice your well-being because what you're sacrificing isn't doing really anything for her. And I don't mean that in like a, a negative way at all, but. Yeah, because you know. you're just hearing her problems and why is she doing that as opposed to like if she just wants to get the thoughts out there then she could record herself talking. She could type, if she's sending things in a text message, she can type them up and have them for her. But now she's involving you and that's not good for your own mental health. Mm -hmm. Ah, So time for a break. 
Okay, we will be back. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today's episode is brought to you by a sponsor we love, 310 Nutrition. 310 Nutrition is helping us, you, our listeners, in the new year with protein and superfood-rich products with so many options and flavors for your personal preferences. They're adding new products all of the time, and I just got my... I mean, I didn't just get my package. I just got a, 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 a secondary of my package. And I, as someone who needs electrolytes to function, there it's like elixir from the gods. I cannot sing their praises enough, specifically the cucumber flavor of this electrolyte mix is delicious. Like it's, it's so good. I've even like had it on like ice and been like I'm drinking like a drink drink like you can throw a little straw in there I'll, and, and it's it's delicious it's so good and I just I love they're filled with so many great ingredients that really help if you're like me and you like you know medically need some electrolytes but also if you're working out if you're sweating hot summer day you're going to an amusement park you're on your feet for a long period of time all of that um most of us are not getting the electrolytes we need yeah I drink mine specifically when I am working out it's my beverage while I'm working out. I just take one stick of the hydrate, mix it in with my bottle of water. 16 ounces of water can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water if you got that hydrate in there. They also have the all-in-one shakes, which I absolutely love. I'm running low, so I got to get some more. But um, I love the chocolate bliss the vanilla cream the caramel sundae i have all three of those flavors sometimes i mix and match them sometimes i'll use it when i'm baking or i'll just drink it straight and it is they're so good they have a triplex protein blend plant-based proteins that include pea brown rice and pumpkin that makes it so delicious you can get fiber and superfood blends with more than 25 organic fibers and superfoods blended into one easy, delicious shake. And they also have 310's four shake flavor starter kit, which lets you sample all the flavors for only $9. 
Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with Don't Blame Me and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and super easy to put together an order, or you can start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code BLAMEME right now for 50% off up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code BLAMEME. In our live stream, our listeners are always recommending and talking about books. So we're so excited about Book of the Month because this is something that our listeners are going to love. This is a brand that I've been familiar with for a, a long time. I like love watching people talk about it. I love seeing what books people are reading and like what books they have available. And I, I, I love I love everything about it. So I'm so excited for someone who like... <laughs> you know, the ease of getting into a book, a lot of it can feel like really daunting. So to have like a service where it's like, you're going to get like high quality hardcover books, which that's my preferred way to read at incredible prices, but also curated. So it's like amazing, cool, wonderful, great. This is, it's kind of like a, a straight shot into that and something that book of the month you can do over and over and over again. And one of the great things about it is the longer you are part of the program, the cheaper the books get. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and promote the work of emerging authors. One of the amazing things about Book of the Month is that every aspect of Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. First of all, the books come in a bright blue box, which is very pretty. Me and Megan were just talking about them. There's also a fun app to pick your books and track reading progress and as well there are reading challenges and rewards and book of the month makes it really easy to decide what book to read next which for me is like the biggest hurdle i love when other people make choices for me especially when they're good choices and i'm like cool i can trust you so each month the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and they pick some of the best new books for you to choose from all of the books are so good you can't go wrong and i mean that wholeheartedly when we were picking like our selects for this i was like wait this, I like all of them. This is hard. And I literally coordinated with Melissa and I was like, okay, so these are like my top ones. I'm assuming they will be yours. So don't pick the same one as me. So then we can swap afterwards. And that's what we did. So we got the ministry of time by Killian Bradley. And we also received the return of Ellie Black by Emiko Jean. The ministry of time is like, people are calling it like, if you're a fan of Outlander and like spy novels or time traveling books, it's quoted from town and country saying it's really innovative fun storytelling the ministry of time is definitely for you and listed as 45 of the must read books for spring 2024 and then harper's bazaar also said part time travel romance part spy thriller and 100 percent multifaceted joyride <gasps> when i tell you that i was like sold we're also excited about the return of ellie black and this one is about a missing girl who returns but that isn't the end of the story it's only the beginning. We both like a, a, a detective book. This one is uh, 20 years since detective Chelsea Calhoun's sister vanishes. Ever since Chelsea has been searching for signs for closure for other missing girls. But happy endings are rare in Chelsea's line of work, which that sounds so intriguing. And I'm looking forward to reading this novel so much. Can't wait. And we're so excited to usher in this new sponsor. And we know y'all are already going to love this. Plus, we've been recommended this so many times. Mm -hmm. So I, I we, we've already got fans in you. Try the service yourself at bookofthemonth.com. And you can get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That is 
your first book, $5 at bookofthemonth.com using code PEDALS. We are back. Let's get into the rest of it. Hi, Megan and Melissa. This story involves me, 26, she, her, and my boyfriend, he, him, 28. We've been together for three years. My dad passed away suddenly, and my boyfriend has been a tremendous support system through it all. However, after he passed, my boyfriend and I had to go over to my father's home to get his dog. However, when we were there, my boyfriend and I were in my dead father's kitchen, and my boyfriend proceeded to eat my dad's leftovers that were still in the fridge. It was a really long and emotional day, and I snapped, asking why he would share a plate of my dead father's dinner. He said it was going to waste anyways, and I'm being dramatic. Am I wrong for being upset by this and thinking it's strange? Thanks so much. Love you guys. I don't think you're wrong at all. I think that there's like, this to me is like the clear depiction of logic, pragmatism versus emotion. And so, yes, logically... (laughs) The food is going to waste. He's hungry. Why not eat it? But this is like grief we're talking about. So like the approaching grief with a like cut and dry logic brain. Approaching grief in general is that is laid out by the person who's grieving. And like the people who are around, like that's what you are there to help for. But I think that, I don't know. I I mean, I think that like he's super wrong for being like, you're being really like, this is really dramatic because like, this is, it's not dramatic. This is traumatic. Like you're going through a really traumatic period. And in a year from now, would you have maybe have been like, you know what? Like the food thing that was like, not maybe a huge deal, but also like, there's a lot of like cultural things in grief that like, we don't all necessarily align through like everybody's belief system. So I think in general, going into someone's fridge and just like eating food is like rude. And I think being like, well, whatever, he's dead essentially is kind of a very callous way to look at it. And I think if that was something that you wanted to do, and I think it's valid if someone else would have been like, yeah, go for it, eat it. But I think you have to ask questions, especially when you're in like your partner's like recently deceased parents home that like you are there to like aid in them getting through this time period. And like, it's not to make anything harder. And I just think that I don't think it was illogical, but I think it was like disrespectful. Yeah. For all we knew, it it could have been like, you know, he goes over your dad's house and looks through the fridge all the time and he eats the food that's there. I don't think him actually eating the food was the problem. It was his response to your issues with him eating the food. Because like if he would have taken the food out, started eating it and you said, hey, please don't do that. Like this is like it symbolizes like taking it's essentially symbolizing like this was something that my dad had for nourishment. He's no longer here and now you're taking that away. And so if he would have been like, I totally understand. Sorry, I don't think that you would have been writing in. I don't think it would have been an issue. It's the way that he went about it. So I don't think you're wrong. Grief triggers things in us that we probably wouldn't even normally be upset about. It's just that this is new. This is freshly heard. Also, he doesn't know how long the food's been sitting in the fridge either. But it was just the way that he went about responding. And so, yes, he's wrong by the way that he responded. 
Yeah. And the way he responded, that makes me like, it does make me question, like, is this something you do often? Because this feels odd. And I also think like, not to make a trivial aspect of it, but like, I think, and I I don't mean this to be funny at all, but I'm like, what if you wanted those leftovers? Like, Mm -hmm. I just think in general, it's rude to kind of like take things and assume that they are yours to take and that like you have like equal like rights to like deserve it. You deserve this food just as like much as it's not your house. Like it's not any of that kind of thing. And like the assumption behind it, it was so clear that that was the wrong assumption. And if you've been dating for that long, I don't know. I, I just think that like the response was like so... He's been a tremendous help, but like that response to me is like so callous and Mm -hmm. like so mean and something that is like you said, like I think he was operating from his logic brain. But then as soon as you said that, if it was just the logic brain, it would have been, oh, my gosh, you're right. I'm so sorry. Like that was I should have asked like that was like super callous of me. Like I'm you're right. I'm so I'm so sorry. But the defensiveness and calling you dramatic to me, that's like a big red flag yeah i'm sorry that is nothing is harder than when you're going you're grieving and like the people and people make it harder for Mm -hmm. you so you are not wrong yeah all right here's the next one hi i know i'm wrong but i need to be put in my place okay i love that (laughs) i she her have a crush on my coworker, alan he him I started this job January 2021 and we started friendly messaging after about three months when another coworker went on sick leave due to too high workload and me and Alan were tasked with picking up the workload. The friendly messaging stayed friendly, but turned into a lot over the course of about two months, like 100 messages a day, plus talking at work. One day he stops talking to me didn't even greet me at work and only spoke to me if he absolutely had to. So he went from being overly friendly to a bad coworker considering I needed him for training since I was still pretty new in my job. Today, Alan is professional and polite. I have admitted to myself that it wasn't just friendly and he probably stopped talking to me because he felt the same way. The feelings are a problem because I am 28 and he is 46 and he has a wife and kids. I currently have intrusive thoughts about sleeping with him, but I'm not gonna unless he makes the move. I'm moving away, but I think it's a good conversation starter about emotional cheating. I think it's up to every couple to decide what they're okay with when it comes to crushes. So I always try to follow his lead for our friendship. He always messaged me first in the beginning. Once he stopped talking to me, I respected that because I assumed it had to do with his wife or his own feelings towards me. I don't feel like I've been in the wrong for the amount of engagement I've had in this. I think you've been in a wrong the whole time, regardless of the engagement. I think you both are in the were in the wrong. It's not just him or just you, but having this kind of you said it's emotional cheating, having this kind of relationship with a coworker is, even if he wasn't married, is inappropriate. Um, and then you add on the fact that he's married and has children and is your superior and is 20 years older than you. Those are all issues in themselves. And so 
he as the older person as the supervisor should have never let it get to this to begin with but you also shouldn't have engaged and i understand when you're in that situation at first it might have just seemed like two co-workers venting but you didn't go into details but i feel like it got deeper than that or you guys not just talking about work and maybe i mean not maybe he did take advantage of the situation but you also didn't back off yeah I also want to correct you. Those are not intrusive thoughts that you're talking about. And that's like very invalidating to people who like actually get intrusive thoughts. Intrusive thoughts are unwanted thoughts that can be incredibly distressing. And you (laughs) having intrusive thoughts about having sex with him when you would have sex with him is not that's Mm -hmm. that's not what an intrusive thought is. Because you said that if he made the move first, then you would do it intrusive thoughts is you don't want to have sex with him but your brain is telling you but you're like no Mm -hmm. i absolutely won't you will well and an intrusive thought is walking on a bridge Mm -hmm. and being like i'm gonna i like want to jump off it um intrusive thought is um someone wanting to harm their child like an intrusive thought is like but they're not actually wanting to harm their child Mm -hmm. it's they are afraid that they are going to do that and that they're, they're an intrusive thought it's telling them to do that but they're like you're fighting against it. So like, mm-hmm. this it's is not... Fear. And you don't have a fear. because this be, You're having a fantasy. Mm-hmm. This is not an intrusive thought. So that got me a little heated. But yeah, I think that this, this whole, like, I don't, we don't owe anyone shit. I don't know any, owe anyone anything. He's the one in the relationship. So yeah, he is the one more at fault. But you can't operate along the lines of like, I'm going to go with whatever... He like everyone has their own boundaries and their own relationship kinds of things. So like I'm just gonna go based off of like his behavior. That is a horrible way to operate in this world. Yeah. Like if we're gonna go based off of like the worst person's behavior as the barometer for like what is morally sound, no. Like it's just, it's just it's completely fucked. Like you need to have your own moral compass and you need to decide. Like yes, I think that people. No, I think people also use this like use open relationships and monogamy um, or uh, and non-monogamy as is like, well, like, who knows? Maybe they're in an open relationship. Yeah, then it's your responsibility to ask. And if they're in an open relationship, if they're doing it ethically, they're going to be upfront with you about it. If he's being secretive about it, then that's not how open relationships should work. No, you don't get to be like, well, maybe he's in an open relationship. It's his responsibility to tell me. And I'm going to assume that he is, even though he's never told me and I've never asked. Like, that's no, because you have to under, like, you to take it back to kindergarten, you have to treat people how you would want to be treated. And this playing that ignorance is bliss, like, I don't know anything, like, I'm just going to pretend that this is all fine and whatever. You would never want someone else to do that to you. You would never want that. And like, I also like really strongly believe that. I don't know if I want to call it like, quote unquote, mistress culture or whatever was like created by the patriarchy where women like don't owe women other shit where it's like, Mm -hmm. I think that like, yeah, men shouldn't cheat on women. But I also think as women, we shouldn't be like, well, fuck her. Like, well, fuck her. I don't owe her shit. He owes her something. So then why are you into a guy who's treating another woman like shit? Like, it's just this like the patriarchy has like, found a way for men to get away with treating their like committed partners like shit 
because we told that the people that they're seeing on the side that they don't owe that woman anything. And like, yes, at the end of the day, he is the one who is most at fault. But you assume that fault and you assume that responsibility. And if you're not going to make your due diligence before making a decision or before interacting with something, like we do that with everything in our lives. Like we research ahead of time. Like, you know what I mean? Like you read a re- you're hiring a handyman, you read a review, you do all of that. But like, you need to be able to do that in emotional relationships as well. And like when we don't do that, it's because we know that we're not going to like what we find. And so then you just have to own up to the fact that like, this is what I did. And yeah, I, I think that he owed it to himself and to his partner to like not emotionally cheat. But you also owed it to everyone, including yourself to not participate in something that was not like ethically or morally sound and wasn't laid out with boundaries there. Like it doesn't make your, your hands aren't clean and no one's hands are clean in these situations just because you didn't explicitly ask. So you didn't explicitly know. And then also on top of that, when he either, I'm guessing he got caught or he came to his senses, but I'm guessing he He got got caught. caught. He put up boundaries, even if he didn't verbally say them, he stopped communicating with you in the same way. And it took a moment for him to, you know, find the balance. But it seemed you said that he wasn't talking to you and that was unprofessional. But now you're like he's being polite in a professional way. But you didn't even like he put up the boundaries and like now you're like, oh, I'm about to move. So I want to jump on his dick before I move. No, like he put the boundaries up. He has said no without saying no. And you're still fantasizing, not having intrusive thoughts, fantasizing about what would happen if he came to you. It's wrong. Yeah, you haven't taken any of this time to like self-reflect or Mm -hmm. like realize the role that you played. Like you're just offensive in thinking that you didn't play a role in any of this. And like, he's not putting the blame on you. Like he Mm -hmm. is creating these boundaries. And like you said, like you're looking at them like a personal attack and you're like, well, I didn't do anything. Well, like, well, clearly this relationship was not, not okay. And I also think if he was like, then became a bad coworker, tough shit. Like you both participated in this and like, therefore you both suffer the consequences of this. But like, you haven't done any reflection on this at all. And if you don't do that, you're going to keep ending up in these situations. Right. I don't feel like I've been in the wrong for the amount of engagement I've had in this. No, you're completely wrong. You said you started this off by saying, I know I'm wrong, but I need to be put in my place. No, you know that what you did was wrong, but you're not actually applying that because you don't think you're wrong for what you did. What you did was wrong. So you contradicted yourself. Mm -hmm. So you need to sit with that and also think about how you're going to continue to be professional with other people as you, because you're still very young in your career. Think about that. Like, think about how when you move, how you're going to communicate with your other coworkers, how when you're in a position where you're the senior person on the team, how you're going to communicate when, you know, things get heavy at work and then you're leaning on someone else. Keep your personal relationships out the workplace because you don't understand boundaries no and you're you saying that like it's up to every couple to determine like what they consider emotional cheating 
there are three people in this mm-hmm. situation. What's up to you? What right. what onus do you have? What responsibility do you have? Where is your moral compass with this? Like, where are you, what are your boundaries? Because like, you don't know both of them. You only know one of them. Mm-hmm. And like, so emotional cheating, that's not an open relationship. Like, that's not like, that's not ethical non-monogamy. It's nothing like that. So if having sex was what he was like, no, that's, that's the, ba- whatever, emotional, but where's yours? Where do your mm-hmm. boundaries lie? Yeah. Because I think that like not to pull out like the age old, like how you get them is how you lose them kind of thing. But I think that like how you are willing to treat other people gives other people an invitation of how they can treat you. Right. So do better. Realize what you did. All of it. All of it was wrong. Take responsibility because you're taking zero. And think about that as you continue working in your profession. And therapy. Like, I cannot stress enough, if you are seeking out these kinds of emotional, tumultuous relationships that are fucking up someone's marriage, there are kids involved, there's a huge age gap, there is a power imbalance that's happening at your workplace. Like, you are cha- you are making chaos in your life. Like, you mm-hmm. are creating obstacles and hardships and difficulties in your life. And, like, like doing all of those in, like, one fell swoop, like, that is a cry for, like, you need some professional intervention and help with this because there's something I don't mean this in uh oh I get whatever but like I've been someone who has I've I've sought out I've ha- like had shitty relationships like I've put myself in situations like that that's not like a oh we all deserve how other people treat us or whatever but when you seek out emotionally unfulfilling and uh toxic relationships there's an issue there like happy people don't do that happy people do not seek out relationships that hurt them like mm-hmm. intentionally. And this on paper, logically, this is textbook. This is going to hurt me. And again, I say this from someone who's been there, who has sought out those relationships. Like we do not do that when we are okay. And like, it's only going to get worse until you take a step back and you get some help. And whatever that means, whether that's books, whatever, you recognize the root cause of this and you work on yourself because you are just going to hurt everybody. But the person you're going to hurt the most is you doing right. this over and over and over again, you are going to hurt you so much and you're going to be hurting all these other people. And at the end of the day, this will not bring you or lead you to happiness. Mm -hmm. It's just going to make you hate yourself. Right. All right. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) So what's our next segment? Our next segment is, but are they wrong? And that's when we take something from the world, from pop culture, from anything in the zeitgeist that's going on And we name our person, a.k.a. Rachel of the Week, a.k.a. Wrong of the Week, a.k.a. Asshole, who uh, has done something controversial. Who's your pick? I first want to say that we've gotten tagged hundreds of times in this TikTok that someone made um, about how Rachel is the new Karen. And Mm -hmm. I would just like to know if that person listens to our podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Because it feels so specific. Yeah. We've been saying it for months probably a year at this point. Yeah. Like Rachel has been that bitch. And like, I'm just so curious if anybody, like if she like, listens, because like, it feels like so specific. Okay. So I would like, like to nominate a TikTok creator named Tinks. Mm. T-I-N-X. Tinks is a TikTok creator who I heard about because I had a friend who was like absolutely obsessed. And I watched one of her videos and the, her claim to fame was doing these like 
quote unquote rich mom starter packs. And it would be these TikToks like the rich Brentwood mom. Like she goes to Palisades Village. She does bar every weekend. She's like, blah, 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 blah. Actually, she talks a lot slower than this, but I'm I'm dipping into my typical TikTok voice. So she would just talk about this like rich mom starter pack. This is what she wears. This is what she does. And (laughs) you might find this insulting if you like liked her content. But I will just say that I think if you are over the age of 25 and you watch this content and you felt duped, like (laughs) that is kind of on you because all of her content from the start has been a incredibly privileged, wealthy woman making content, pretending that she is an outsider, but talking about insider information into like these very rich social circles. And so she has like rich mom merch, like all of this like rich mom things And she talks about it as if she's giving like social commentary when she knows this because this is her circle. Like she's like wearing these $700 Zimmerman dresses, but she's like talking about this content as if she is the audience. And like they're both, they're laughing at this exuberance and this luxury when she's like just actively participating in it, which is like, it's very obvious. But I found out that she, when my friend was like very into her stuff, that she's in her 30s, which was like kind of a shocker to me because the stuff that she talks about is like 2014 toxic, like diet culture shit and like things that like, I don't want to equate that with like youth. How old did you think she I hadn't seen her before. Okay. I had just like heard about these things that she like was recommending. This woman looks. I know. I know. No, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> no, but she was like recommending these like diets and like all of these things that like to me scream, my brain isn't fully developed. And this is like, it, it just screams susceptible to diet culture and celebrity and all of this stuff, which is usually happens when you're, you're younger and you've lived a little bit less life. And then I started like, again, like looking at some of this content and here's a little bit of tea. I will just say, I know somebody who is in her social group, in her circle, and that told me everything I needed to know. It was one of those, oh, I told my friend, I was like, I would stop watching. Like if this person is in this group with this person, like, no. And so she has kind of branded herself as like the TikTok big sister. She gives like lots of advice. And I will own up to the fact that I am exceptionally critical of people who give advice online because that is what we do and not from a competitive nature of it, just from a responsibility nature, because what you see people answer when they're giving advice is the questions and the things that they've chosen, but like the things that people entrust us with and will message us about or, and not just message, like we'll, we'll call into the podcast about, we'll write in about that the stuff that we also choose not to answer because we don't have the capacity to like help people in that sense. When you are giving advice, it lends people to sure trauma dump, but also like really open up to you. And so you understand what a responsibility you have, even if you choose not to answer those questions. Like even if you choose to answer the frivolous ones, you know that people are entrusting you with like really personal things. So she has this Reddit account. Well, it's not her. She has a subreddit about her called Tink's Snark. And they had basically uncovered, they were a group of people, specifically women, young women who had felt that her content was promoting eating disorders, was promoting substances, binge drinking, and just a lot of like really problematic behavior. And they had also found a lot of her old tweets. 
And so then there was an article that came out with all of her old tweets and they are so bad. And so when I say old, they start, I think, at 2014, but they go all the way up to 2020, which are not Mm. old. And so they range from being wildly fat phobic to xenophobic, COVID denying. And then she interviewed Dr. Fauci for TikTok. So the whole thing that has been the biggest thing blowing up is that she's kind of essentially led her audience to believe that she is super liberal. She's a leftist. Like she is pro mask mandate, pro science, all of this, that she's super body positive, super inclusive. And then all of these things come out about her calling other women ugly. Trigger warning for fat phobia here. She says fat people at Coachella, LOL is talking about, like, I don't know how Kim Kardashian, like, I can't live with myself. Kim Kardashian is so fat. Like, just all of this shit that doesn't match up with how she's branded herself online. And so she got called out for this. And (laughs) she just addressed it in the only thing she addressed was the very old tweets. And she mentioned Kim Kardashian by name about being like, she's actually my hero. And she chalked all of this up to being young and insecure and in her 20s like in her early 20s when these things were happening. But she didn't recognize any of the xenophobia, didn't recognize any of this stuff. And she's still participating in calling women ugly today and like still doing this stuff. And there's been a lot of other TikTokers who's come out and said that like she's just like really not a good person and she's like very cruel and like very mean. And um, she liked this comment about this other TikToker. Someone commented on Tinks's video and said, you are everything that Audrey Peters wishes she could be. And Audrey Peters is a different content creator who's younger than her and a smaller creator. And she reached out to Tinks and was like, hey, I saw you liked this comment about me. This like really hurt my feelings. Um, And it was like on Christmas. And she was like, Merry Christmas. Like, I just wanted to say that, like, I don't know if I've done anything. Like, I've always really looked up to you. I don't think they'd like ever even met at that point. And she was like, if there's something that I did, like, I would love to know because like, I really do look up to you and really respect you. And I would love to apologize and like do better if I like have hurt you. And it seems like I really have. And I, I would please give me the opportunity to change. And Tinks read the message and blocked her. And I don't know much about this Audrey Peters person or whatever. And so like, it's not saying that that person is like wonderful and great and all of that, but it's just like super abundantly clear that there is a lot of malice and like, towards other women specifically from her. And I think that digging up people's old tweets and looking through all of that stuff, I don't want to say that I think it's okay that people, we've said things. And I think all of us at some point or another, whether we said them online or we said them in real life or we thought them in our heads, I don't think it was ever okay to say those things. I think in general, the jokes we see being made on television have changed. And there are some things that we watch and we're like, wow, these have aged poorly. And I think a lot of times we, a lot of us were raised by television, raised by media, and there wasn't a lot of intervention by parents or older adult figures who are able to course correct in the things that were not politically correct that were being said. But I do think there's a very distinct difference between someone who used dated terminology or made some jokes that were like really cruel and horrible and have since changed or grown from them. And also, I think ones that are targeted at groups of people using the excuse that there was like 
self-hatred there, I think is a really manipulative excuse because I think there are tons of men and women, non-binary people who deal with body image issues and eating disorders. And it does not make how you treat fat people. That's not an excuse to that at all. I've said this before, but I think when people use like that, I'm I'm only fat phobic to myself. That's fat phobia. That mm-hmm. happens and it, tra- it it goes along to everybody else because like you're being bigger bodied as like something that is bad and that cannot only apply to you because inherently that is equating with fat with bad. And yeah, she didn't address like any of this stuff and reading through the subreddit, I would urge people like just know that there's like a lot of specific talks of like things that she has said and done about like promoting eating disorders and like it just makes me like so mad and so upset and that is like, That's an evil person. Like that to me is like an evil person because if you are struggling with your body image, you don't want everyone else to. That's no, like you you do not want that. And as a creator, that to me just is like, that's malicious. Like that's Mm -hmm. so malicious and fucked up. Yeah. I, other than like casually hearing about her, I haven't, I don't know anything about this person. I don't know who she is. And so I just, just in reading her while you were talking, um, I did like a, quick reading of her and just in reading her apology it that seems very genuine but when you add in what you said about the other things that she said recently because I didn't this doesn't address any of the recent things if I was a newcomer coming in and just seeing that apology I would think oh okay she seems remorseful she acknowledges what she did was wrong she talks about very specific examples and talking about herself. She took responsibility for what she said. But then you add on these recent things that just, I wouldn't say it completely invalidates because, you know, maybe she actually is remorseful and regrets those things that she said. But if she's still sticking with that in current times, then that's not a actual apology. You're just re- apologizing about those very specific things you did 10 years ago. And like the only person you're name dropping in this is Kim Kardashian. Like, and then she, on her story, someone said, please just address the 2020 tweets. So she's, her PR move has been, I guess she does like a AMA on Instagram every Monday. And so Mm -hmm. that's how she's choosing to respond to these things (laughs) is in an AMA, which goes, she says, in 2020, I was in the same scared and wildly disruptive place we all were. I was confused, frustrated, depressed, and anxious scrolling through the internet looking for any type of reprieve or explanation, anything that would for a split second take any of those emotions away. It isn't a satisfying answer to say I wasn't thinking clearly when I liked those tweets, but it is the truth. And to think that something as small as a like or a retweet, one mindless click could have been added to the horrific sentiment that also arose when that forever had and will have an impact on so many, I am just completely horrified to think that my emotions and complete aimlessness could have contributed to that in any way. I should have actually spent the time looking into it all before engaging with something unfactual or worse, hurtful, regardless of what was unclear at the time. Now tell me, what do you think that's about? (laughs) She wasn't specific. No. And that's the thing that you chose that question that says address the 2020 tweets. There are so many questions that said address the xenophobic 20, address the COVID, address, mm-hmm. but no, no, no. We're going to be ap- like purposefully obtuse in this conversation. And also, again, that is not taking absolutely any onus where it's like, oh, I didn't think about, I didn't think this through. Really? Because you're like very pro Boris Johnson. Like you're liking all of these tweets constantly. Like this has been over the course of years and months. And a lot of like the rhetoric online has people been just being like, just be you and go for it. 
like be if you're a bitch and you are like and I and actually I don't say bitch because I usually use that term endearing. If you are a mean girl and you are conservative, you are Republican, just be that. But like trying to cosplay as something that you are not in order to like obtain an audience. She gives me like the conservative girls who move to L.A. and want to have like a gay friend in WeHo vibes. Mm -hmm. It it gives me that. Like it gives me like I'm using marginalized groups who can become my fans and like I can be the queen and like, oh, my gosh, like, yes, girl. Like I can can use the terminology that they're using and I can like be like, oh, my God, I'm the queen of the gays. I'm a WeHo girly. You are using these groups of people and then you are actively voting against their rights and you are only using them when it comes to your own self-righteous image. And I'm here about like the destigmatizing of taking medication. And again, when you make your entire fucking career, it's like my thing is giving advice. Then everything you're saying is advice unless stated otherwise. So when you're doing stuff where it's like, it's a bottle of wine and three benzos night. So that's advice. That's advice. Like, I don't think inherently taking medication or talking about how you're on medication is glamorizing medication. There's a way that you end up glamorizing medication. And like, I think we should all be okay with whatever we need to take. But again, when your thing is advice and inadvertently you are giving 18 year olds and from this again, from this Reddit, you see these people who are like, I I was following her advice and like I slipped, relapsed into an eating disorder. I developed an eating disorder. And like that part makes me sad. It makes me sad if that is what you're going through in your private life and not what you are influencing people to do. And like, I would be mortified to call myself the internet's big sister. And like, there's just a responsibility. Like when you're also, when you're going through shit, like I don't like to talk about shit I'm actively going through until I have anything I can fucking share with you until Mm -hmm. I have anything that can help. And there are other things that I've never talked about because I'm like, I have nothing. I have no insight. I have no help. I have no big sister advice to give you. It just makes me mad. Okay, I'm done. (sighs) All right. Yeah, so my pick for this week is there's this book that was released in February called Bad and Bougie Toward a Trap Feminist Theology. And it was written by this woman named Jennifer M. Buck. And this book engages with the overlap of Black experience, hip-hop music, ethics, and feminism to focus on a subsection known as trap feminism and construct a trap feminist theology. I mean, you can read more about it. It has one star on Amazon. And you're probably wondering, you know, this sounds interesting. I mean, the book cover has a beautiful Black woman on the front of it with a big fro. But Jennifer M. Buck is a white woman. (laughs) I just had a jump scare when I clicked (laughs) on because I pulled it up and then I clicked on her uh, jump scare. Yeah. So Jennifer Buck is an associate professor and of practical theology, and she also has a Ph.D. in philosophy of religion and theology from Claremont Graduate University. And she's written other books about reframing the house, constructive feminist global whatever. It's a bunch of bullshit. And then another one called Quakers Social Work and Justice Concerned. And I mean, she is a licensed minister in the Quaker church. But what does she know about being bad and bougie and a black woman? Um, nothing. Yeah. The black experience, hip hop music ethics. What what does she know? And so as the black community does, this came out and Whenever it's not she wasn't hiding being a white woman. 
this actually, you know, went through publishing. They were fully aware that this was being written by a white woman, but the only people that have been doing reviews on it are people that work with her at the university that she's at as far as like the reviews that they uh, let through like editorial. But of course, now it has one star. So Black Twitter found it. Then like the Los Angeles Times did a write up on it. And the Black woman that actually coined the term trap feminist, let me get her name, Sasali Bowen, who actually coined this term. She did a write-up as well. And so it has been taken down and is no longer for sale. So my Rachel of the week is this very confused, very problematic woman, Jennifer M. Book. Did you know that it was published mid-Black History Month? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to read the Amazon description of this. Trap feminist theology seeks to build an intersectional theology emphasizing women's agency in their bodies and sexuality while also remaining faithful to the quote-unquote trap, context from which they are socially located. Such a project will redefine the quote-unquote trap context from one of marginalization to one of joy and flourishing within Black feminist theology. <laughs> like, what? How? And, and there's a reason why she didn't put herself on the cover of this book. She did that because she wanted people to think that a Black woman wrote this book. I don't even think she probably had any sort of knowledge of the original terminology of like no. trap feminism because I'm I, like... Except for she found the definition because some of the definition is in the summary. But it doesn't even seem like it, she's like defining it, but it also doesn't even seem like that aligns with like what she's talking no, about at all. And it feels like a complete afterthought. And like, I just can't stress enough how racist it is for a white woman to be like, with my book, I'm going to take this term that is coined and applicable to the black community. And therefore, I deem it as like a bad thing and like something that's marginalized. And with my work, we're going to be reframing this to be black joy. But also the term black feminist as coined by Miss Bowen, at its core is how people attempt to celebrate Black women without talking about their lived experiences and copying the aesthetic of, like, famous people that you see out there, like Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion, without giving, like, credit to that or linking it to their own lives. And so this is, like, what it like this is the prime example of that exactly like it's just like this is writing a book report when you've never read the book and Mm -hmm. it's like this is what and that smug author photo of hers also i just i want to say i just hate the cover in the the text wise where the and being in italics where it's like bad and Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's wild i i didn't hear about this wow was it this year? Yeah, this just happened. Yeah. And it just got taken out of publication a couple of weeks ago. Like, that's how it, like, it blew up on Twitter, on Black Twitter. Yeah. And then immediately got taken down. This was just a couple of weeks ago. Wow. 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 I don't know. I, I feel like as a white woman, maybe it's time for you to, maybe you should have just written a book about, like, feminism in the church if that's what your whole thing is is like theology and religion but like Mm -hmm. that in itself 
there's not a lot of discourse about, and especially like you could reach, if you are a real feminist, you could reach these white women as another white woman. Mm -hmm. But like instead you're going to like hop into something that you like literally know nothing about and like target it towards a community which you are not a part of when your own community is like literally the worst part. As a white woman, like we we are the worst. So focus on that. Our camp is on fire. Let's put this fire out before Mm -hmm. you're like, hello, like, let me come to these other, like, it's right. just. And, you know, piggybacking off of that, that's actually my mother, her PhD dissertation is actually on Black feminists in the church. So, like, this woman could have took the white white woman's side, so they could have came at it from two different forces, but she decided to get not even, like, out of her lane, but on a completely different highway. Driving the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that to me, I'm like, you. there is nothing, the attention is bad and the impact is bad. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, if you're not going to be self-policing your own community as a white woman, like, you're diverting your attention somewhere else is because you're trying to turn a blind eye to, like, your participation in yeah. it. Yikeroonies. Okay, well, that is it for our episode. We hope you all enjoyed. As always, head on over to the Instagram account to vote on who you think was wrong in all of these situations. These episodes go up on Thursday. We want to give you time to listen. So we, the earliest we will post the polls will be Friday, but they will be between Friday and Monday. So you have time to listen. And if you can comment on the latest Instagram post who your Rachel of the Week is. So we're still searching for the opposite of Rachel of the Week for some terminology. So you can also comment that on our Instagram or send us a DM. As always, tag us in things as you see them and that you'd like us to talk about on the podcast or send them to us directly. Anything else? No, that's it, bro. Okay, bro. We will circle back. May it. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. But Am I Wrong is a production by me, Megan Rinks. And me, Melissa DeMonts, plus Diamond Imprint Productions. Post-production by Coco Lorenz. And production assistance by Melanie D. Watson. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.